Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. As we are talking about fruit, I don't want us to miss the, the, the that in, in light of Lacey being here and, and realizing what God is trying to do and wanting to do in all of our lives. Uh, John chapter 15 verse 8 says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. Now, he really does a beautiful job, Jesus does in his words. And by the way, John, I said this last week, John 15 and 16 is 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 Jesus' manifesto on the Holy Spirit. So if you really want to understand the Holy Spirit, definitely jump in to John 15 and 16 and dive into it. But he's not only to give you an education on the Spirit, but what the Spirit is going to do in the life of true believers. You literally see him giving a quantitative assessment of a disciple and a qualitative assessment of a disciple. Quantitative in the sense that he's seeking to develop much more fruit inside of us. All right. So it's not just a little bit of fruit. It is a lot of fruit. And so it's, there's this quantitative element, but there's also a qualitative true disciples. If there's going to be a true disciple, that must mean there's a fake disciple. And in, in Mark and Matthew chapter seven, verse 21 speaks of those who claim the name of Jesus, but do not know Jesus. The, Jesus tells us the, the story of the, of the wheat and the tares and the tares growing among the wheat. So we do know this. We do know that there are true disciples and we do know that there are not true disciples, fake disciples, poser disciples, cultural Christians, if you will. And we do realize that they're out there. But what he says, he says, when you bring those two together, that there is more and more fruit being manifest. And you see then that there is a true mark of a disciple. And let me just point this out. That quality and quantity are not, that is a false dichotomy. To say that it is either or. We see here that Jesus is wanting to be both a qualitative and a quantitative part of who we are. When we talk about around here that we're about making more and better disciples, it's because of verses just like this. That God is trying to see more true disciples being formed. But we're also trying to see also more better disciples being formed in, in inside of our churches. And if that's a heartbeat of yours, if that's something you want to explore, quick commercial break. In a few weeks, we're going to be offering our next step experience. In fact, there's one going on right now. But in the first of March, we'll offer a whole nother set. So if you are interested in that, please explore that. But here's another verse for you. Matthew chapter 7, verse 20. It says, you will recognize them by their fruits. You will recognize a true disciple by their fruits. Looking in their life, you don't have to hear their words. You don't have to know where they go to church. You just got to look in their life because that will be the mark of a true disciple. When we talk about this qualitative fruit, what are we talking about? What is this that, that God is supposed to manifest himself in a true disciple? We've talked about him real quickly. We've talked about love. It's not just any kind of love. It's extreme love. It's selfless. It's timeless. It's it's uh, it's limitless in, in, in love. It's also joy, sustained joy. 
joy. Even when you're not happy, there's a joy that sustains you through it all. It's peace. It's not just any kind of peace, but it's a saturation peace. It, 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 it first of all starts with your relationship with God, that you have peace with God, moves into your relationship with yourself, that you get to have peace with yourself. So let me just say this. There's a lot of people who are not at peace with themselves. Moves on into a peace with others. And sometimes you can't find peace with others because the others haven't found peace with themselves. And the reason they haven't found peace with themselves is because they don't have a peaceful relationship with God. Peace is important, but it's a, it's not just any old peace, peace for, for a peace treaty sake. It is true on peace that saturates our life. It's also patience, but not just any kind of patience. It is a gritty patience. When you're ready to throw in the towel, when you're ready to quit, when you're ready to walk away, it's that forbearance. It's that steadfastness. It's that stick to itness in there. And again, we've been doing this study. If you've been a part of it, over a hundred people are a part of it right now, a U version Bible study. So if you have jump into it. I'm about to wrap it up this week. But if you jump into it, you do it for 30 days. Finish out the month of February and get in there and study what it means to have the Spirit of God working in you. How is it that God both grows better fruit in me and more fruit in me? How does he prove that I'm a disciple? How does he grow this fruit inside of me? Well, again, if you go to John, John chapter 15 and and 16, but here's the very first words when he really introduces the concept. John 15 verse 1, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. So he's giving a kind of a word picture, kind of a parable, if you will. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit. You're going to notice something here. There is a progression a forward progress that should be happening. First of all, there's no fruit. He takes it away in the branch then uh, that uh, every branch that bears fruit and he prunes and that it would bear more fruit. So no fruit to some fruit to more fruit. And then he lands in verse, verse five, whoever abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. No fruit, some fruit, more fruit, and then much fruit. What God is wanting to see inside of all of us in this whole process of seeing the the Spirit of God unleashed out of us is there is a growth mindset. Do you have a growth mindset on your job? Most people would say, ask you that kind of question. But do you have a growth mindset about your faith? Are you literally looking at your life and saying, you know what? I have a little bit of fruit. I have no fruit. How how does this fruit come out? How do I get more fruit? How do I get much fruit? Well, God is going to do a work on us. All right. He's going to do a work in us first week, in us, on us, and through us. And that on us work is sometimes not so fun. Okay. There's two primary ways or two acts of God that God does on us. That is to deal with the fruitfulness or fruitlessness of us. Okay, real quickly, God discards the fruitless. That's a hard statement to say this, but God discards the fruitless. Don't take my word for it. John chapter 15, verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers, a branch that gathers 
And he's thrown into a fire and burned. Matthew chapter 7, verse 17. So every healthy tree that bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, I'm going to save that hot topic, pun intended, for another day. But I just wanted to set out there to realize that God is looking at every one of our lives. And he does not want us to be fruitless, but he will deal with it. And listen, I know we've talked about people, you talk about people that are have a dumpster fire life. This is not a dumpster fire, this is a brush fire. And that literally there's, there's an element there that, that God is wanting to grow fruit in us and develop us and to make us true disciples. But if not, there will be a line of separation. But here's another one. God prunes the fruitful. God does a work in us at times that is absolutely not fun. In fact, you might even look at your life and say, God, I'm doing everything I know to do. I'm doing everything right. I don't have any conviction. I don't have any unrepentant of sin in my life. I don't know why bad things happen to good people. Why is it that this is happening to me, God? I thought I was in a good relationship. I didn't think you would let these things happen to me. And the reality is that sometimes we don't even bring it on. But God is going to use the circumstances of our life and he's going to use it as a pruning mechanism to prune us that we become more fruitful so that we can bear much fruit. But he's going to take us through a pruning process. John chapter 15 verse 2 says, every branch that does, does, does bear fruit. He prunes. Why in the world would you prune a fruitful branch? That it may bear more fruit. Some of you right now are living in a pruning season. Some of you right now are wondering, God, why are you doing this? Why would you put me through this pain? When all along what God is trying to do is to bring his fruit out of us. This is a quote from a horticultural bulletin. Okay, this is not a Bible study. This is not a Sunday school curriculum that I'm reading from. Let me, let me read this to you. The vine's ability to produce growth increases each year. But without intensive pruning, the plant weakens and the crop diminishes. Mature branches must be pruned hard. I wish he didn't say hard. A little snip every now and then is okay. Pruned hard to achieve maximum yields. When we talk about the fruit of the spirit, we talk about extreme love. You know what that means? That means God's going to put you in relationships that you're going to want to drop the mic and walk away from. But if you're going to have extreme love and that fruit coming out of you, then it's going to be an element of you're going to have timeless, limitless, selfless love. He's going to put you in relationships that you want to quit and walk away from. But it's not what God calls you to. Also, he's, 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 people want patience or they don't, they want more patience. They don't want what it takes to get more patience. Because what it takes to get more patience is sometimes you have to be put in situations of impatience, of times of, 
of, again, walk away kind of moments, cash in the towel, walk away, find somebody else. All of the fruit of experience will have a counterbalancing that God may use a pruning sears on your life to get you to bear much more fruit. We've talked about these in couplets, and it doesn't necessarily mean couplets. They fit together in couplets. I've seen even other uh, examples of them all in lumps in threes or something like triplets or something like that. But this is what we've looked at so far, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. But you need to see these in totality. He is going to grow these in us. They're going to be manifested in us. Today, I want to talk about kindness and goodness. And these two words may seem so, so, so close, and they are. At times, it almost seems as if they're interchangeable. But there is nuanced differences that makes them worlds apart. But they come together at the same time. When you look at kindness, you're looking at conduct. When you're looking at goodness, you're looking at the character. When you look at kindness, you're looking at what is God going to bring out of me? How am I going to relate to others? But when you look at the goodness, you're looking at the character, the quality of who you are on the inside. That element of what defines who I am. And God is going to use circumstances and and pruning shears in our life to shape our conduct and to grow our character. Let's take our Bibles and let's look at Galatians chapter 5. Again, for the exercise of seeing these all in their totality, verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such, there's no law. You will not find anybody out there put restrictions on patience. Nobody's going to say, hey, let's, we got too much peace going on around here. Too much love. No, 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 no. Too much joy. No. There are no, no culture, no society, nowhere in the world, nowhere in time will you find those laws, people against those. The point is, is that's what we want. That's the life that I want. That's the quality of life that I want. And it's proven by my relationship with with God and allowing his spirit to be unleashed in me. Let's look at these two manifestations of his spirit. One, uh, we've already looked at uh, the, the, the first ones. Let's look at number five, that we would see a generous kindness come out of us. There's a kindness that just should be a part of our life. But again, I want to reemphasize that you cannot separate these from each other. Even though we're individually looking at one uh, at this moment, these all go together. In fact, you'll find throughout the scriptures that you'll find at different times. I'll even bring out another verse passage next week where you'll see these just intertwined. This is the only time they're referred to as the fruit of the Spirit. So you're going to see throughout Paul's writing, throughout the New Testament, that these qualities are interconnected, interwoven. In fact, when you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you find where Paul's talking about love. The very first fruit of the Spirit, or the first manifestation is love. But yet you right behind that find patience and kindness. Love is patient. Love is kind. What is this kindness thing? Kindness for some people 
It's different. It's mushy. It's squishy in the middle. I have a hard time putting my arms around it because it's sometimes I see kindness being lived out. And I look at that and I go, that's enablement. Kindness is not enabling someone to do wrong continuously or to live in a false narrative. That's not kind. You're adding to the lie. Neither is is, is kindness. Well, I spoke the truth to them and I set them straight. No, you're just a jerk at that point. So kindness is not always what we call kindness. So what does this kindness look like? This word kindness is not used that many times in the New Testament. It's used only about 10 different times. And so I really had to go to outside classical Greek writers to get a broader understanding. Philo of Alexandria, Josephus, both use this same Greek word, charistes. And it means usefulness, helpfulness, readily generous in disposition. I want you to just hang on to usefulness. Somebody who is kind is, is finding ways that they can be useful, helpful, lives with a generous, ready disposition. Take their time. They're ready to, to dispense of their time, use their time for the helpfulness of mankind, usefulness. They're ready to take their talents. They're ready to take their treasures and to use those for the good. There's a lot of things I, I enjoy in 31 years of being a pastor. There's some things I don't enjoy about being a pastor, but there's some things I really enjoy. A couple of those things is whenever I get to do a wedding and I get to be in a seat at the table, metaphorically, with a bride and the groom for a few moments that nobody else gets to see. I get to see the groom and the bride as their eyes are meeting. I get to see them walk and stand in front of me and it's just me and them. Everyone, in fact, I tell them in rehearsal, forget everyone else behind you. Let's just talk. And I get to look at them and I get to see almost in the depths of their soul, the excitement, the naivety, uh, the, the, the joy, the, the anticipation of, of love and marriage and what it's going to be. And I'm not just talking about 20 year olds. I did a marriage of two widows of 70 year olds and they were like giddy teenagers in my office. Another time is whenever I get to kneel with someone and in their broken words and not all theologically packaged and it's all right order and I get to kneel with somebody and pray with somebody and they give their life to Jesus. That is an incredible highlight moment for me. But there's another time when someone comes up to me and they say, my God has blessed me. I want to take the bless, I want to take a portion. I want to take sometimes all the blessing that God has given me and I want to bless somebody else. We have had people literally give us houses and say, find a need and meet it. And I can remember two houses that were given to us. We literally turned them, got them cleaned up, got them fixed up, took a builder in our church, put them on the task, getting them ready. And we opened them up to people who needed homes. I've had people, now I'm, I'm not talking wealthy people, but people come up and say, here are keys to a car. Find somebody in need. 
And to be able to take that keys to that car and to give it to a single mother who, who, uh, who had a special needs child and, and, and had so much going on in their life and to be able to turn that over and just say, here, we want to bless you. There is something about the ministry that that thrills me more. This past week, because of your consistent budgeted generosity, there's ministry going on constantly. This past week, we got to keep the lights and the heat on for a single mother of two. You don't get to see all that or you don't see all of that. I get to see that. It is a joy to be a part of seeing when people are useful and helpful and readily generous in disposition that we can go, listen, Mike, where's there a need? How can I bless our church as we bless our community? How can I be a part of that? There is a kindness factor that comes out of a spirit overflowing kind of life. Paul said it like this, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's who we are, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. But what are we supposed to put on? This is an intentionality. We're supposed to put on a compassionate heart and kindness. The same word as you said. You put it on. You put on a ready, a, a readiness to be uh, generous, a disposition of that. See, kindness should flow from us. We don't force kindness from us. It flows from us. If it's forced, you kind of, it tastes bitter. It tastes, it tastes, uh, uh almost like metallic and metal. It, but when it flows from a heart overflowing, God's been good to me. I'm going to take my time, my talents, and my treasures, and I'm going to be good to others. There is a sweetness, a satisfaction that you get in no other way. But like kindness flow from us. A.W. Tozer said it like this. No one can worship God in spirit and in truth before the obligation, and don't hear that in the negative terms, before I can't constrain it any longer. I can't hold it back any longer. I've got so much of his spirit inside of me. Think about obligation like that. I've got to let the valve open. Obligation to holy service becomes too strong to resist. There ought never be a budget crisis in a church. There ought never to be a volunteer crisis in a church. There ought never to be a, 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 an unmet need. Because of a spirit-filled church, there ought to be oozing, flowing of kindness. A generous disposition of helpfulness and usefulness. Put on then God's chosen ones holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, and kindness. What does generosity look like for you in time and talents and treasures? Maybe the most kind thing you, maybe right now you know of someone that you need to forgive. And the most kind thing you could do, the most useful thing you could do, the most generous thing you could do is to release them. Just release them. You'll find yourself released in the whole process. But it's not only kindness, which by the way is a mark of God. Because in Romans chapter 2 verse 4, it is the kindness of God that is meant to lead you to repentance. 
Church, let me say this, what I said last week. We have an opportunity in a world gone mad, in a world angry, in a world in crisis fatigue mode. We have a chance as a church to be spirit-filled individuals in a world that does not have the spirit of God. We have an opportunity as a church to give an excuse for Christianity when we are exuding, flowing from us kindness, generosity, helpfulness, usefulness. There ought never to be a need in our community. Let me go that far. That the church of Jesus Christ isn't rising up to say, we're ready to meet that need. That's kindness. And what happens with kindness is it leads people to Jesus. It's also an integrated goodness. It's not just, again, kindness and goodness sound so close together and that parsing them out is so important, but it's, it, it, it is a character of goodness. It's not just good deeds. The manifestation of his spirit inside of us and him coming out of us is so important. It's when Romans chapter 15, verse 14, I myself am satisfied about you. So what made Paul satisfied about the church of Rome? What was it? What was it? He looked at them and he goes, I am satisfied with your faith, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness. When I look out there and I see character of righteousness, of goodness, that that's what, what marks us, then I can say we have done a good job in discipleship. We have done a good job in transferring our faith. Goodness is not just doing good deeds. It is operating from goodness inside of us. You want elders and pastors who are lovers of good. That's not, again, just good deeds. That is a goodness of who we are. What is this goodness in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 and 9? It says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. How do children of light walk? Well, here it is. For the fruit of light is found in what? Good, what is good, what is right, what is true. Character matters. Doing good is one thing, but the goodness that he speaks of here is not us just doing good. It means there's a moral compass inside of us. There's a moral barometer inside of us that says, I am going to be right and I'm not just going to do right. When I think about the life of David and Saul, Saul being the king before David, Saul was a man who had lost his morals, lost his mind, lost his direction, lost his, his moral compass, his ethics were, were shot. And what does God do? God anoints a king, sends Samuel to anoint a new king, King David. But that is not set well with jealous King Saul. What that sinister Saul does is he tries to do everything he can to null and void the anointing of King David. So much that he was going to kill him. He was not going to stop. There was no limits to what he was willing, what lie he was willing to push, what falsehood he was willing to push just to maintain his throne. David, so moved by that experience, in his time writes a song. 
Psalm 52, verse 3. He writes it about Saul. And this is what he said. You love evil more than good. Lying more than speaking what is right. Let that sink in. Because when we have to be right more than we are about rightness, there's a wrongness about us. What, what Paul is praying for the church in Galatia. And I've been looking forward to sharing this one verse the entire series. So let it, let it sit there. Paul had a prayer that he would see something happen inside of, of the people. And this is the prayer. My little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth. Now, any guy who writes about being in anguish of childbirth, I go, you don't know what you're talking about. But he uses the metaphor. Until Christ is formed in you. You see, goodness is not just something we look for. It is seeing Christ formed in us. Christ formed in us. What does that mean? What does it mean to have God in us? It means that we understand that we have a good God. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's his character. I want that character formed in me. His character. Uh, Psalm chapter uh, 136 verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And again, it's not just he's a good, good God. It's no, his character is good. When we talk about kindness, that's the conduct in which we interact with people. When we talk about goodness, that's the character of who we are. And if, if, if the Holy Spirit isn't transforming our character, it's not about just changing our behaviors. We're missing it. How's he working on you? Because here's the reality. None of us are good. None of us are good. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. It says, there's not right, there's not, no, no one's righteous, not even one. So how is it that I get this goodness in me? How do I get Christ formed in me? How, how do I get this kindness in me? How do I get this love in me? It's not going to be from you tapping into the spirit. Hold on to that. Because when you talk about who God is, you see this goodness and kindness coming together in the book of Titus. Let me read this to you. When the goodness, that's the holiness, the righteousness, the character of God. When the goodness and the loving kindness, that's the generosity. That's, that's, that, that, that is that, that willingness to be helpful and useful of God our Savior appeared. Of God our Savior appeared. What did he do? He saved us. He saved us. Because of the works done by, uh, uh, not because of the works done by our righteousness, but according to his own mercy. He saved us. How did he do this? Now comes the Spirit. By the washing and the regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. We've been looking at this since week one. In Ephesians chapter three, verse two, it talks about our new life in Christ began with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit at work in us, calling us to himself. The kindness of God, the goodness of God saved us 
by his mercy, washing us, who he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There's an entire message right there. But here's what I want you to see is what happens at the very beginning of this. It's the goodness. It's the kindness of God. It's the conduct of God. It's the character of God coming together to do what? To save us, to give us a new life so that the Spirit of God can wash over us, so the Spirit of God can come into us, so the Spirit of God can flow through us. So when I talk about being unleashed, I'm talking about letting the Spirit of God who is in you because of your relationship with Jesus, because of His goodness and kindness, flowing out of you. There's a lot in there, I know. But I want to take you back to Lacey. As she shares her story, Maybe your story is like that. Maybe you don't have a story like that. But she could point back to a season of time when God was doing his regenerating work inside of her. Six months before God started something before one weekend, one week comes along and catapults it to a new level. And since then, it has been Christ being formed in her. The spirit of God working in her that I pray is true of you. I can't say this enough. I don't want you to focus on the fruit. I don't want you to focus on the spirit. I want you to focus on Jesus. Do you know Jesus? And then the spirit will wash over you. Then the spirit, the, the, the fruit of the spirit will come out of you. Then you will have a quality life and a qualitative life that this world cannot even begin to offer you. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to do this in an old-fashioned kind of way. If you've never seen this done before, don't worry about it. I grew up in churches that did just this. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their head, close their eyes, get really quiet inside of their self where they are right now. And do some serious assessment. Do you know that good character of God, that righteousness, that holiness of God, of who he is, because that's where it begins. And then you experience the kindness of God and that kindness leads you to repentance. If you have never given your life to Jesus right here where you're at, with your head bowed, with your eyes closed, would you just right now say, Jesus, I give myself to you. I don't even know fully what that means. But I trust you, Jesus, to bring your goodness into my life, your holiness, your righteousness, your character. I want your character, God, in my life. And I want your kindness flowing through my life. Tell him that in your own words. And then say, Father, wash over me with your spirit that the fruit of the spirit may flow out of me that I might live a life of a true disciple, bearing more and much fruit in your name. And if you prayed that prayer, whether you're watching online or you're in this room, do not keep that to yourself. 
you must text in. You must fill out that card in front of you. You must stop by and see Lori and I at, 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 at the Welcome Center. You must. You must tell someone before you leave here. Why is that so important? Because it helps solidify what you just did in your relationship with Jesus. Father, I pray that you would do your miracle work of goodness being poured into our character, your character into our character, transforming us into your goodness, into your likeness. Oh Lord, I want to taste and see that you are good. And I want that goodness in me. And Father, I pray that from that goodness would flow kindness into those around me. Father, do your work here and now. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live sent.